Hello and welcome to another episode of the Veteran Gamers Interview. I'd like to introduce Luke Schneider uh, from Radiant Games. How are you guys doing? How are you? I'm doing great. Yep. As, as with all previous interviews, there is a question I have to get out of the way first of all. Okay. okay. Uh, do you know what biscuits are? I heard one of your other podcasts, so I know what a biscuit is and what you're referring to. Yes. Excellent. You've done some research. I like that. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, what is your favorite biscuit or cookie? I would say it is an oatmeal butterscotch cookie right now. Mm, that sounds pretty tight. Is there some honey in there as well? Um, a little bit, I think, but uh, it's either between that or a snickerdoodle. What the hell is a snickerdoodle? It's sort of like a sugar cookie that also has a lot of cinnamon in it. Ah, so nothing to do with peanuts then? No. No, not at all. Ah, I see, I see. Uh, now, I must apologize to begin with because I have got what's known in the United Kingdom as the man flu. Uh, do you yeah. know what that is, man flu? I don't think I've ever heard it called that. Well, ba- basically, uh, what women in the, in the UK have decided that if a man has a cold, he always says it's flu, even if it's just really a cold. Yeah. So he goes, because apparently men you know, make cold sound worse than they really are. So we're, we're accused of making it sound worse than it is to get attention, apparently. So there you go. So my wife says I've got the man flu. So there you go. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a derogatory term as it goes, but there you go. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. Um, what I'd like to start off with before we sort of start talking about what you're doing currently is, is talk a little bit about your past because you know, prior to being an independent developer, you were working for a, a major development studio, weren't you, or a couple of them. Um, yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your history and, and what you'd worked on before you became an, an indie developer? Sure. Well, it all actually starts back in, like, uh, I think 1995. I was in college, and I really liked Doom and TIE Fighter, but I couldn't decide which one was my favorite. And then this game called Descent came out, and I absolutely loved it. I actually bought the demo on a, one of those old floppy disks and played it, and then I immediately had to go out and buy a $30 version, which came on five floppy disks. So for, so for anyone who doesn't know, what, what sort of game was Descent? Descent is a first-person shooter with six degrees of freedom, and it was a, one of the first fully polygonal games. You fly around blowing up robots, and it also had awesome online multiplayer. So from that time on, I basically spent all my free time playing Descent, and then I found out that somebody had written an editor for it, so I started making levels for it. And I actually, that sort of became my primary interest. I actually had been playing on the volleyball team that year, and I decided to quit the volleyball team because I wanted to just focus on doing my schoolwork, and I also just spent so much time playing Descent that I didn't feel like being the 15th man on a 15-man roster was worth my time. So I made a lot of Descent levels. I made a lot of Descent 2 levels when that finally came out, and I was completely obsessed with the game. And I actually played some tournaments and got first place out in California when I was going to college there. And then after I released one of my big single-player level packs, um, Craig Derrick from Outrage Entertainment had contacted me, and he asked if I would be interested in applying for a level designer position. And of course I was interested in that because I was about to graduate in six months, and so I applied, and they're like, "Oh, wait, we gotta wait another six months." So can I? So can I ask? Did you study uh, game development at uh, college, I or s- did you just learn teach yourself? Well, I learned level design on my own. I had been, I've done some computer art before that, like some pixel art and animations and deluxe animation. And then um, I'd also been studying computer science, but I have to admit, I didn't really try very hard in computer science. 
because I just barely scraped by and I was really good at taking tests. So that's how I really succeeded in that. I, I learned a lot more about programming after I left college and actually started making editors for games than I did ever in college itself. So after um, six months, I was graduating and I put on another big level pack and I interviewed and I got the job. And so two weeks after I graduated, I went to Michigan and worked at Outrage on Descent 3. So how, how did you find that then to go from college straight into working for, a? am assuming at the time, a big developer, was it? Well, it wasn't that big at the time. It was only uh, 17 or 18 people when I got there. I mean, that's big for not having any dis- experience before, but compared to what Volition was when I left, um, it's not big at all. So it was it was a very tight-knit group, and you stayed late every night playing multiplayer games, including Quake and Quake 2 and Descent, and we tried Forsaken when that came out. Forsaken was sort of a Descent clone of sorts that was made by Iguana Entertainment. So can I ask you, yeah. you know, going back to that, did you feel back then when you were working for that company development had a lot less pressure and was, you know, not as intense as it is now. Because obviously I get the impression now that, you know, publishers just want the games out as soon as they're finished and there's a lot of pressure on these developers to get them done, you know, working, you know, ridiculous amounts of hours to do it. And, you know, what was it What was it like now compared to back then? I think it was just more peer pressure to work crazy hours because I worked as many crazy hours on Descent 3 as I ever did on any other project. Um, I mean, partly that was because of my age, and I was just insanely obsessed with, you know, working on the game. I didn't have much of a life outside of work at that time anyway, so I worked crazy hours at Outrage, like, crazier than I've worked since then, but um, part of it was just, it was sort of publisher um, pressure because we needed to get the game out because it was going way over budget by the time it came out, and at the same time, it wasn't as publicized, I think. Like, there's just more more knowledge of what's going on, I think, now. And just more people are going through that sort of system. So I think it's a little more institutionalized now, but back then it was definitely still a hardcore development process. And, um, yeah, I worked tons of hours, lots of really late nights on Descent 3, and there's lots of crunch at the end of the game and stuff like that. So it wasn't quite as, like, driven by producers or project managers or stuff like that. It was just sort of, like, internalized pressure to just get the game done. I mean, well, one of the things we've noticed, especially now, is the amount of times you get a lot of patches after a game's released, and we always wonder if, you know, if that's a, you know, result of that pressure to get it out on time, you know, as opposed to finishing the game properly. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely still pressure today. Um, it's a little easier to put out patches and do them well, I think, now than it was in the past. So I think that's one reason you see more patches, because, because it's just easier to do them now, and it's easier to get them out there and put them in the player's hands. So, I mean, even myself, I patched, I'm working on the patches for Crossfire 2 and Fluid, which will make it every game that I've put out, I've put up one update in addition. So there's always, even with small games, there's always like one or two little things that might slip through. I think uh, Fluid and Joy Joy probably have the smallest amount of things that actually went wrong with them in the release version, but with any game, there's always going to be issues, and the bigger the games are, the more patches are going to be needed, probably. So how did you find moving to Volition, then, and how did that come about? Well, in 2003, Outrage was shut down after we finished Alter Echo, and I had worked with Volition on Red Faction 2 because Outrage did the multiplayer levels for Red Faction 2, and we also did the ports for PC and Xbox. 
And Volition and Outrage actually used to be the same company, just two different offices, because they were Parallax Software back in the Descent days. So they had actually become Outrage shortly before I joined them. Um, so I knew a lot of people in Volition, and I applied to some other places after Outrage closed down. I actually tried independent development a little at that time and finished a Game Boy game, but I was really bad at finding publishers, so that never went anywhere. So after eight months of being on my own, I went to Volition, and it was an easy transition at that time because I sort of knew the engine from working on Red Faction 2, and I just jumped right into Punisher and worked on that for about nine or ten months and then started working on Red Faction Guerrilla, and that went on for four and a half years. Yeah, I always I always feel like Red Faction Guerrilla was a bit underrated. You know, it was one of those games that seemed to get missed by a lot of gamers, unfortunately. And I yeah, think it was I mean, fun. It definitely felt the same way. <laughs> like we, we absolutely loved the game at Volition. We loved playing it, and we were always hoping for, you know, a Saints Row-style success, but it just didn't happen for whatever reason. I think releasing right between Infamous and Prototype was not a good idea. Releasing the same week as E3 was not a good idea. So, And the thing was with that game as well, it was all about the physics and the destruction and how everything, you know, it would teeter and then finally fall. You know, it did feel very yeah. realistic. Yeah, I mean, that stuff affected everyone on the team. That's why the game took so long to do, and it's why you probably won't see another game like that for a while, like the next Red Faction game actually scales back some of the stuff in terms of the open world technology and goes a little more story-oriented. But, um, yeah, I think the game is, like, an amazing piece of work, both technically and design-wise. But, you know, it definitely has issues. The story is not the most interesting, and the pacing could be better, and there, there's some issues with some of the activities and other things. But overall, I'm very proud of the game, and I'm glad to have worked on it. One of the reasons I stayed at Volition so long was to finish that game. Like, I actually wanted to leave earlier, to go and do independent stuff, but after Red Faction finished, all my stock was worthless, so I had to wait around a little while longer and actually save some money. So how long how long did it take to make Red Faction from concept to finishing it then? You know, just to give us some idea. It was it was about five years, a little less. Like there was like two or three people on it at first. I was like the fifth person onto the project. And then I was on it for four and a half years and then I worked on all of the DLC packs. I probably worked on the game a longest maybe you know because i always i always think when you hear especially when you see you know some of the you know the bigger websites criticizing games or you know saying they're not very good or for whatever reason you know i don't think they really think about how many hours and how much time people have put into those games yeah i mean that game is part of my life and i did two gdc talks on it and you know the team that we worked with it was enormous at one point and actually the most fun i ever had working on games was when we finished production and went into post-production, we cut down the team to like 35 to 40 people and just working on Red Faction for those like four months was like the most fun I've ever had working on games. So it's definitely a a big part of my life. And, you know, I can take the criticism because I've heard so much of it and so many people also love the games. So I'm, I'm used to like hearing it from both sides, but yeah, that game is something I'm very proud of. And I, when I think about what I want to go back and play, I always think of Red Faction Gorilla because there's so much stuff in the game and it's just, it goes for hardcore players or people who want to just have some fun blowing up stuff. So there's lots of ways to play it. Yeah, I think most people just wanted to blow stuff up. To be honest. Yeah. You know that that's the impression I got. You know the you know when I played it, that's that's obviously what I was doing was just uh, blowing stuff up and seeing how much something could take before it collapsed. You know that yeah. that was the fun stuff to do. Um. So what what made you decide to to set up your own independent games company then? 
Well, I definitely like the taste of it that I got when I um, when Outrage closed. I liked uh, having control over what I'm doing, and I've wanted to like if I could have had control over the projects that I was working on at Volition, I would have stayed there. But I wanted to work on smaller projects, and I wanted to have control over what those were. So, in order to do that, I had to leave Volition and start my own studio and it's been a lot of fun but it's also been a lot, a lot of stress as well so is it uh, is it just you or or is the people it is just, i do everything except a couple of the boxes and some of the technology behind like the scoreboards and saving systems i've gotten from other people online that have shared their code so what made you decide to use xna as opposed to other platforms then well, I knew I sucked at talking to publishers, and that's been proven again this year as I sort of screwed up talking to publishers multiple times. But So I wanted to do something that didn't require talking to publishers, and I also wanted to do console games, and XNA is the only way you can do that. So I, I knew that it was pretty risky and that the games didn't make a lot of money, but I thought if I could put out enough games quickly enough that I could build up a, a name and eventually make money just from the sales sort of going on top of each other so that when I have like six games, they're all selling enough copies that it, it makes enough money. So how's your experience been then? So how have you, you know, for, how have you felt the support's been there from Microsoft, et cetera? You know, has it, has it been a positive thing? I don't really interact with Microsoft in any way, to be honest. Like, it's just sort of the community. It's a pretty well community-run system overall. And like my interactions with Microsoft have been pretty limited, like, Talked to them a little bit about Dream Build Play back when Joy Joy was in that, but I like I submitted Fluid for Xbox Live Arcade so, like consideration, and they didn't want it. They thought it was a pretty good mobile game, but I wasn't really interested in doing Windows Phone Seven at the time. I mean, well, so, I mean, do you, do you feel Microsoft has supported the indie developers enough? Um, I think so. I think if they would just fix things up a little bit more in terms of figure out a way to do some sort of achievement system, even if it's just within any game itself, just to give people some like long-term sort of satisfaction for playing the games. Like right now when you play the games, there's no communication between them. Like I can't even make my games have like their own rating games award system because they can't communicate with each other. So if there was just some way to have like some sort of achievements or micro achievements or just like give all the games, 20 gamer score points and have some sort of standards that games have to meet to use them. And even if it's just like a $500 fee in order to use the achievements, that would be fine with me because people want achievements. And if they're not being rewarded for their their time playing a game, they don't want to play it. So that's the major thing I would say. Um, Personally, I would like it if the games could be played offline. Like if they've been on the market long enough, like validate that they're not that the content isn't objectionable and allow people to play them offline. Like that's just a personal thing because when I take the Xbox to my parents or uh, parents-in-law, I can't play my games. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because obviously they can't be played in Australia either. Uh, Yeah. But that's a government thing, isn't it? An Australian government thing because they're not rated uh, or officially rated. Well, the iPhone has games there and they're not officially rated. Microsoft could do something in that regard. Like even if it's putting... Xbox Live Indie Games up to the next level where they have to do more reviewing of the games and rating of the games and stuff like that. Um, Apple has a whole system for doing that with iPhone. I don't see why Microsoft can't do that for indie games, even if it means requiring developers to pay more to get into it or having stricter requirements overall. I think it's worth, like, it's definitely worth it for me. I don't know if it's worth it for people who are just getting started and want to use XMA, but I think um, 
if they want to keep this around and make it a really profitable thing, they got to make it more attractive to other developers and make it more attractive for people to spend more than a dollar on a game. I think what's interesting, I mean, we interviewed Aranda Morrison earlier this year, and obviously he's Australian, and he can't play his own game on his Xbox there. He can only play it on his PC. Uh, because obviously there's not, they're not allowed to, which we only found out then. You know, we were quite shocked, and yeah, it's to do with the, the Australian ratings board apparently, because it's not officially rated, uh, they won't allow it. So, what what frustrations have you come across uh, during your time uh, doing the indie games? Then, once in a while, the sort of seven day waiting period can be frustrating. Um, if you fail a peer review, or if you put your game in a peer review and find a bug, you can't fix it for seven days. Like you can't submit a new build for seven days. So. That can be a little frustrating at times. I know it's been a bit of an issue with the indie games winter uprising um, developers in general. Like James Silva went through the process three times to get ZP2KX. I had to go through twice to get Crossfire 2 through, even though I found the bug like the same night I submitted the game. So um, that can definitely be an issue at times. I think overall, like just that my audience hasn't really expanded after Inferno. Like I thought Inferno would make it so, like this is just, something for me personally in Radiant Games. I thought that would make my future games bigger, but it really hasn't. Like, Fluid got more downloads, but the sales weren't that great. And uh, Radiant, or Crossfire 2 has done pretty well like in terms of sales, but the number of trials is pretty low overall. So I don't know. It's not really Microsoft's fault in any way in that regard, but it'd be nice if, like, just getting more people to the Indie Games channel would be... Uh, a good thing. I think it's. I mean, for us, we we follow the indie games quite closely, and you know, we review one every week. We try and get the developers on. You know, we've been watching closely the Winter Uprising, and we're going to do a special feature on the show in a couple of weeks' time once they all release. Um, how have you found the Winter Uprising? And do you think it's been a positive thing? Do you think it's worked as you'd have liked it to? I think it's worked to sort of get the word out online, but I think in terms of overall impact, it doesn't have much of one. Um, just in terms of download numbers and um, overall sales. I think it's just good for just bringing goodwill among people who really pay attention online and sort of getting a little bit more press. But, like, nobody, none of the big sites covered Crossfire 2 launching, and I haven't seen them cover, like, games like Epic Dungeon or ZP2KX or Soulcaster 2, which have been some of the other big games from the, Uprising have already launched, so maybe they're just waiting for all the games to come out and they'll feature them, but um, so far, I would say the impact hasn't been as big as I was hoping it would be. I think one of the things that's always in, or, or sort of not maybe interested is not the right word for it, but we're always surprised at how many indie developers don't have a website. You know, we'll be sort of, we'll be playing the game and then we'll go to look at the website to see if we can get some more information, and they don't have yeah. one. Sometimes you're lucky they've got a blog. You know, some of these guys seem to just put these games out and, and don't have... And, and one of the things I always think is, you know, from my personal point of view, is that, you know, the indie games in themselves just need more marketing, you know, and, and, and developers themselves, I guess, have to, do, have to do a bit more. I mean, what, what sort of things have you done for marketing, for instance? Well, I, I tend to focus on the launch of my games because with Inferno, that's what I did, and it was actually pretty successful. Um, I found that... When I send too much stuff to press, like that's where I tend to focus my energy is like sending assets to press and press releases and screenshots and trailers and stuff like that. Um, when I s- send too much stuff, people s- tend to not pay attention to it anyway. Like when I send stuff about announcements for soundtracks or 
like there's a new trailer for a game coming out in a month. Just because I'm putting out so much information already, um, it just hasn't had a strong effect. Like Crossfire, the first one, it had a really strong response to the launch, to the initial trailer announcing the game, but the overall downloads were barely higher than Joy Joy, and the sales were not that great. So um, I, I just tend to focus on the launch of my games now just because I launch games so frequently that I think hearing from me more than once a month just tends to drive people crazy and they're like, we don't want to give you more coverage again when there's other developers who really deserve it as well. So that's what I tend to focus on now is just to launch my games and try to make this as big as I can. And usually I'll get like one or two features later after a game comes out, like um, G4 featured Fluid about a month after it came out or three weeks after it came out. And there was a nice little sales spike for that, but I have no control over how, whether or not that happens. And, um, like they never even contacted me. I just found out about it um, because of the sales, and someone else mentioned it because I don't actually get G four. I mean, I mean, just to talk a little bit about your games, you've been, you know, it's fair to say you've been pretty prolific in in the amount of games you've released in the first year on there compared to a lot of the other indie developers. You know, because you know most of these guys we talk to, have, you know, some of them spent a year doing one game. Um, did, did you have some of these games already in development before you you started using XNA, or have you do, have you literally you know done all these games in this year? I've literally done them all in this year, but I did work on Joy Joy's technology a little before I left Pollution, like in terms of just learning XNA and figuring out what kind of systems I wanted to put together. Like the particle system is actually pretty much the same as it's been since Joy Joy, and I've added some new technology stuff, like the refraction shader that I have in, like, Fluid and Inferno. That's probably where it's most noticeable. Um, that's something that I added new, but it's based on the uh, examples that XNA comes with. And some of the, the Bloom stuff is exactly from the examples, just tweaked to how I like it. So I've been adding stuff, but at the same time, when I start a new project, I just copy another project and then remove all the stuff that I don't need and start adding in everything else. So having that framework definitely helps get things rolling. And my last monthly game, which will be a twin stick shooter, I haven't figured out the name yet. Um, that's really based on, on Fireball because Fireball has been the worst seller. So I'm trying to reuse the technology I put together for that game. So, I'm so why, do, why do you think that might be then? Why do you think Fire... Because I played Fireball um, and I thought it was quite good personally. You know, I thought it was a pretty good game. It did remind me a lot of Geometry Wars uh, pacifism mode, you know, so I yeah, would I mean, say that. I mean, was that was that what was the inspiration was? Oh, it was definitely the inspiration. That's where I started from. And then I just tried to come up with some little twist on it and add little features that I liked. And I think it's more fun than pacifism if you want to play it over and over again. There's lots of variations and stuff. But um, I think the, the non-shooting games that I put together that are just movement-based, I think it just has a more limited appeal, more or less. Um, the conversion rates have been like in the low 20s, and they just stayed around that area. So certain people like those sorts of games, but uh, most people like shooters a little more or games with an RPG element. Like Inferno has been my bestseller overall, like in terms of uh, conversion rate. So uh, people just like shooters a little more than the movement-based games, and I can accept that, and I understand that. So. Um, RPGs are really big on the service, so maybe I should do more of a pure RPG at some point, but they just require so much content. And I try to be really smart about what I put into the games to make sure that I can do them quickly. And at the same time, I've been getting a little exhausted from doing this cycle over and over again. Like, there's so much design work and so much 
I mean, it's not a whole lot of artwork because I try to limit the amount of art I put into the games, but just like doing so much of the soundtracks and the new sounds and all all new stuff, it just gets a little exhausting after time after time and like going through the launch process and waiting to see the numbers and say, okay, this did well or what are the, what's the feedback? What do I need to fix in the update? And it just gets a little tiring over time. I can understand why people take a little more time and do a, a bigger game. Yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, I mean, I played Inferno, and I, again, I thought that was a really cool little concept because it was like Gauntlet with shooting, you know, and, and yeah. sort of, I thought, I really like that. You know, I like the fact that you have to pick up keys and get to exits, and I can see probably why people like it, but my favourite game of yours is Fluid by far, you know. Uh, yeah. And I like that because it's such a really cool little puzzler, you know what I mean? And there's a lot, yeah. you've got to use a lot of thought to work out which way you need to go and, you know, all the, all the things you threw into sort of switch direction and, you know, all the, those little things that I made. For me, I, I personally really enjoyed Fluid and, you know, I bought that straight away without any hesitation, you know, as soon as I played the demo. Um, so yeah. I find it interesting that, you know, those are the ones that people like, the, or not necessarily like the least, but don't tend to buy. Yeah, I mean, like, some people have, like, there's been a favorite for, like, everyone's favorite is different, I would say. Like, some people still like the original Crossfire over the sequel, but some people really like the sequel. And I think Fluid is, like, the coolest game in terms of what I've done with design because it's the most, even though it is sort of Pac-Man, it is it has the most new elements that I had to, like, put a lot of thought into and make sure I didn't put too much in the game and do a lot of level design to make sure everything flows together well. But... At the same time, that stuff doesn't matter if you're just not having a lot of fun with the game. And something like Inferno is just a little bit easier for people to enjoy and progress. And there's not quite as much thing like you don't have to play the game really well to enjoy it. I think that's one difference is with with Fluid and Fireball. If you're not playing the game really well, you might not be enjoying the game as much as you could as much as other people who are really into like perfecting their performance. So I think that's another aspect of it. Aside from the movement thing, it's just um. To play fluid and fireball, you have to play well to enjoy the game. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, uh, Chinny, who uh, co-hosts a podcast with us, he he's got the. I mean, I, I, when we were speaking to Matthew, he, I was telling him he's got just the most ridiculous scores on Geometry Wars. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, it wasn't we did we did uh, fireball this week on the show, um, so that's what we talked about on the show um, this week. Uh, but. You know, he wasn't there, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm guessing it would be one of the games he actually liked because he's a bit, he's very harsh when we do the indie games, um, you know, and he, he always yeah. says what he thinks, you know, so he's not always positive, but I would imagine, you know, he got a huge score on pacifism mode, uh, so I'd, I would guess it would be definitely his sort of game, you know, he just loves all that sort of thing. Um, moving forward a bit, you know, let's talk a little bit about Crossfire 2 because obviously that's your game that you released for the, the Winter Uprising. Um, so what yeah. made you decide to do an update on an original game uh, rather than, than create a new one then? Well, um, just based on the feedback that I got and just looking at it over time and going back and playing the game, I definitely realized that I made the game a little too hard um, for most people. Um, just It gets to the point where it's frustrating, especially around Wave 31 where the X enemies really come in. And I added something in an update to sort of fix those issues where you can turn on these modifiers and make the game easier. But overall, I felt like that game had a lot of potential to expand a little bit more and to um, just introduce some new features that make it more fun. And I had the online scoreboards after Fireball, so I knew Crossfire was probably the game that needed the most after Fireball. Um, so just being able to put in all those new features and 
add the new large enemies. There's just there's better variety in the gameplay overall because um, it's just it was easier for me to focus on what needs to be in the game when I'm not creating the entire game from scratch. And I also had the time to actually make a wave editor so I could um, spend more time making the waves. And I feel like that everything gets spaced out a little bit more. I get to see with a crossfire, I had to put everything in through text. So I obviously I can play the game and see it, but when I can just see it in the editor itself, when I'm putting together all the waves, it's a lot easier to just iterate on what's going on with the waves and, um, yeah, so just putting in all these new features and making the game easier for players and also adding this new upgrade system that lets people sort of customize how their ship is. And if they don't like, you know, getting close to enemies, they can increase their spread a lot or add more shots or do whatever they want with the ship to sort of play the game the way they want to. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's quite tough because especially like shooter games of that that nature tend to appeal to the hardcore, don't they? You know, like yeah. those old sort of you know, Space Invaders types games, you know, and the shooters, it, it tends to be the hardcore plays that they appeal to. So what sort of things did you did you think about when you were sort of, you know, trying to appeal to a more casual audience then? Well, one thing I want to do is definitely still appeal to those hardcore people, and that's what score attack mode is really for. Um, it's a lot harder because you don't heal every two waves, you heal every ten waves, so you have to really focus on surviving and getting a good score at the same time. So I kept that mode that mode focus on the hardcore people. But in terms of Conquest, which is the main mode that most people play, and that's what people probably play in the, in the trial, um, just having the upgrade system where it comes up, gives you a break, um, lets you feel like you're progressing through the game and sort of keeps that progress. I, I think it just makes it a lot easier to get through the game. The game is also just easier. Like if you play on Hotshot, which is the normal mode for the game, um, it's definitely easier than the original game was. And I've heard a couple of people go through on the first try and um, they get done within like 40 minutes, which is fine because in Conquest Plus, you get more of the challenge. You can play through the game again with a lot more challenge, a lot more speed. And you can also move up to score attack mode where it's, any, I'd say, even more of a challenge in Conquest Plus. So I just having the upgrades come so frequently and healing the player and just having multiple difficulty levels. I think that lets a lot more people enjoy the game. So can I ask, just moving slightly away, um, obviously all your games are branded, you know, Radiant Games Fluid, Radiant Games Fireball. Um, yeah. You know, and the only other developer in the indies that I know does that is, is obviously Arkido, who yeah. really like the pixel games and so on and so forth. So what made you decide to do it that way? Well, since the games are going to be coming so quickly and since it seemed to be the hallmark of professional sort of developers, like with Arcado, I thought it would be a good idea. And I also like the Pixel Junk series a whole lot. So I sort of wanted to go with that, like just sort of branding thing. And hopefully it would grow the name and people could find the games if they get lost in the dashboard. So I, that's one reason why I started to do it. And then I think after I saw how it was affecting people, I probably would have changed back to not having it on there but the only the only thing i think of you know and the only the only risk i can see with that is if somebody plays fluid for instance says oh you should go and play this game fluid and then they go and look for it and they actually search for fluid and then can't find it and that's the only thing that i always wondered whether that 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 was ever a problem i've heard i've heard a couple people tell me that that's happened to them or happened to their friends and they couldn't find it and you know it's definitely a frustrating thing when that happens i'm hoping that when they go to 
when they figure it out and they go to R, they'll see all the games there and then buy them. But all that's the flip side, all. isn't it? Because obviously, if they like one, because yeah. you can see them all there together, then then obviously, so there is a there is a bit of a gamble there, a risk reward, I guess. Yeah, but I don't think that actually happens very often anyway. Like based on when the games drop off of, like I've seen Fireball and Crossfire both drop off of the top rated list, and when that happens. That's when the games completely disappear from the download numbers. It has nothing to do with the name itself, honestly. Like, it's all about being on the dashboard and having a good box and stuff like that. Just being appealing. Like, you have to be appealing in a very simple place to find. So, it really it doesn't seem like the name affects it at all, to be honest. Like, I I sort of want like if I do bigger XNA games at some point and charge five dollars, I won't be putting rating games in front of the name. I'll just be like. If I do Inferno 2, it'll just be Inferno 2. There's no, no reading games on it. So Aside from the, the box. So out, out of all the games you've made then, which which is your personal favourite then? Oh, man, it changes. Um, I can tell you my wife's favourite is Fireball for sure. Um, she loves playing the uh, the challenges and that. Um, for me, it, it really does change a lot. I think it really just depends on what I'm working on at the time. Um, Yeah, um, I think Fluid and Inferno, probably, and Crossfire 2 after that. But it, it depends on what I'm playing and just what I'm trying to do. I think Fireball is the most addictive of the games for some people. Like, I've heard people playing the game for, like, hours on end just trying to get higher scores, and that's happened to me and my wife as well. But in terms of uh, overall happiness, I would say Inferno and Fluid are pretty much the two you see the one the one thing for me that indie games has has done is my daughter's nine now and and she's starting to play games a little bit more and i guess the indie games have have really appealed to her you know from because they're quite simple you know there's not too much to take in you know and she quite enjoys the you know beating her own score or beating scores on a leaderboard um and it's quite interesting to see that developing now you know that she's starting to understand you know why you play a game and and the sense of achievement yeah. when you when you do beat a score, um, and I think the indie games have done that. Um, can I ask you because I ask every indie developer this, and, and maybe you're going to be the exception, but maybe not. Um, but I always sort of say, do you get a chance to play you know what you consider the AAA titles or the you know the disc based games, or or do you not? Uh, right now, I don't because um, I do have two young daughters, so when I'm home, I'm just playing with them or just doing whatever is necessary to keep the house in order. <laughs> um, but I do enjoy AAA games when I get a chance to play them. It's just I don't get to play them very much, to be honest. So what was the last uh, one you played then? Uh, probably Darksiders. Oh, so not too long ago then. So that's, that's within this, that year. this year. That was the beginning of this year. And mostly I played it when I was at Volition, but I really enjoyed the game. And I wanted to get a chance to play it some more, but I just haven't had a chance I guess I would say I do play Nintendo games a little more because I have my Wii at home and I enjoyed playing the new Super Mario Wii. Okay. Um, that was fun to play with my wife and my brothers when we get together. So, yeah. Wii games, I'd say I play, probably play a little bit more. And my daughter, is my four-year-old daughter, is obsessed with Just Dance. So she plays a lot of that and we play with her sometimes. Oh, so what? Can I ask you what's what's your fa- your favorite indie game apart from your own? Explosion <laughs> Aid was a lot of fun this year. I, was, I always look at the top rated list to find stuff because I feel like the top rated list actually does uh, 
a pretty good job of keeping my games up there. Arcado, my daughter loves to watch me play the Pixel game. Yeah, Pixel was good. We like Pixel. Pixel was really good. Uh, Score Rush from Zona Games. I love the explosions, just the overwhelming number of bullets and stuff that's going on in that game. I think I like it a little more than Decimation X3 because um, with Decimation X3, it's so close to Space Invaders, and I didn't actually like Space Invaders that much. That's one of the reasons I made Crossfire, because I've never enjoyed um, a vertical shooter in that way. Um, Choose Dynasty, that game has the most beautiful art I've seen in a while, just like the 2D art, and I'm completely jealous of what they've done with that game. Um, The gameplay-wise, I think, I'm not sure if they chose the right engine to use, um, just for they they're using Torque X, I think, and it just seems to be a little too slow for the the gameplay style. So those are some of the games. So can I ask you before before we let you, you know wrap up and let you go? Um, if you had to yeah. give one reason uh, for people to check out Radiant Games, what would it be? Um, it's just lots of cool little arcade games that have been completely remade with modern sort of. Re- modern vector graphics and cool colors and they're good to play with kids and good to play co-op and there's online scoreboards coming for the newer games and they're just lots of simple enjoyable fun with high polish there you go i like it um and where do you where do you see radiant games going then so what's your future aspirations well i would like to keep making just xma games because it's very comfortable and i'd like to be able to expand into other genres like uh uh, platformers especially, and a little bit more adventure games. Um, but at the same time, I'm not quite making enough money now to cover my living expenses, so I'm going to be trying to do Super Crossfire for PC and then eventually other platforms, including the iPhone. So I'm going to be taking Crossfire 2, which has done fairly well in terms of when people download the game, they tend to buy it. Um, I'm going to take that and expand that into a slightly bigger game and bring back Inferno's or Crossfire 1's quest as well. And I'm going to be doing that. And I'm also bringing up this other little monthly game, the Twin Stick Shooter, in January. So the Twin Stick Shooter will be out first in January, and then sometime, hopefully in February, maybe March, um, Super Crossfire will be out. I'd like to go back and do Inferno 2 at some point, but I'm probably going to wait until um, Dream Build Play for 2011 comes along, because I'd like to have a little bit more focus with that game and It'll be five dollars when that finally comes out. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. The, I'm gu- I mean, I'm uh, guessing Dream Build Play helps to at least get your game noticed more. I would imagine. Yeah, and it's a potential source of actual income as well. So, so <laughs> yeah, it's all so it's all good. Um, so if people want to find you on Twitter, Facebook, all that sort of stuff, where would they find you then? Uh, just search for Radiant Games, like all one word, or you can go to RadiantGames.com, and the links are right there on the top as well. So. R-A-D-I-A-N-G-A-M-E-S. Just look for that. There you go. Is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? No, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Well, thank you for coming on.